Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. In getting ready for this show and preparing for what we're going to talk about here, I'm always listening to a lot of press conferences and a lot of, you know, players, coaches saying things. And for whatever reason, from time to time, there's a word that sort of jumps out to me and it kind of, I don't know, it kind of gets my attention in a way that other words sort of don't. I'm going to give you an example of this here. The other day, Kirby Smart was at the SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida. This took place while I was on vacation, but we've been kind of unpacking some of this since I've been back. And at the beginning of that media exchange, one of the national guys who was there asked Kirby Smart about the recruiting budget at Georgia, the fact that Georgia spends so much more on recruiting than almost any other program, not almost, certainly than anybody else does, and frankly, by a pretty wide margin. And Kirby kind of went into the answer on that. Most of what Kirby said is not new information to those who follow Georgia closely. This is stuff we've kind of talked about before, explaining the difference between how Georgia operates and how other places operate. But I want you to listen to this clip nonetheless, because there's a word that Smart uses, and he uses it in reference to this particular topic, but I believe it can be expanded and looked at in the avenue of recruiting even beyond just what Kirby Smart was talking about right here. So let me let you hear this. It sets us up for where else we want to go today. The notion of Georgia spending so much money to produce all all these elite recruiting classes listening listen to kirby here and see if you can pick out the word that jumped out to me here's kirby what do you get for 4.5 million at georgia i think there's a little misnomer to that i don't think that you'd have to really study the numbers and i don't know how much you guys dig into accounting methods but we don't have a school plane so start with that so if someone has a school plane let's say they take 100 flights in that plane they're not counting those 100 flights we might take 100 flights that we purchase. So our recruiting numbers are imbalanced based on that. Now, do we spend on recruiting? Absolutely. Does the SEC school spend on recruiting? Absolutely. Is it necessary to be competitive? It is, and our administration's been great about supporting us. But you know, the, the numbers that people put out, some, some of those were eye-popping and catching where some people are counting the, their methods a lot differently in terms of especially flights, which is our number one expense. You're not ashamed that it can't, it can't hurt. Well, I don't know that, it's, I mean, I want to be efficient. Yeah. You know, like I, we make decisions and we're conscious of budgets and we try to be smart, so I'm not sitting here. I, I, we got to do what we got to do to compete. So as I said before, a lot of Georgia fans are familiar with what Kirby Smart's talking about there. One of the reasons why it seems like Georgia spends so much money in recruiting is because every time Georgia takes a flight, and they take a lot of them, because thankfully Georgia allows its coaches to go out there and be face-to-face and visit with recruits all across the country as much as it possibly can. But every time it does that, it sort of shows up as a line item on the budget. It kind of shows up as a you know as a, as a debit, if you will, as a little bit of a, a loss, if you will, because Georgia doesn't own its own plane, could very easily do so. It just chooses to sort of account for it this way and that's why it seems like georgia's recruiting budget is so much in excess of everybody else that's just true the reporter then comes back to say yeah but you're not ashamed of the money that you spend right and kirby says no of course not we want to we want to invest in recruiting we want to be great at that but then he goes on to use the word that sort of jumped out to me he says but we also want to be efficient there as well in other words we don't want to just spend money for spending money's sake. We don't want to just go out there and just sort of throw money at a problem and hope that solves it. We want to be efficient in how we use our money. 
And I think that word is so important. And I do think I've always been kind of fascinated by the operation of the recruiting process, that it's not just about, you know, cool edits on social media or even NIL on a day like this, that there is something about the entire operation that sort of works to kind of draw recruits to you and draw recruits to your program. And Kirby says, hey, we want to be efficient in how we go about this, efficient in how we choose to use our finances. But I would say that's not the only place that you need to be efficient in recruiting. And I would also say that's not the only place that Georgia has proven some efficiency overall. Just the same way that finances are kind of a finite resource, even if you're Georgian, you're a very well-resourced program, you've got a lot of money to spend, it is still a finite resource. In other words, you you make it spend $4.5 million, but you couldn't spend $4.5 billion, right? It's a, you know, money's not unlimited when it comes to stuff like this. You have to be somewhat efficient about how you choose to spend your money. I would say you have to be somewhat efficient in other areas there as well, because energy is also a little bit of a finite resource that you can go out and kind of spread yourself far and wide across the country. You can pursue all the best players, but you're going to have to make some choices about how you choose to operate and how you choose to sort of spend the energy going after players, because eventually you're just going to run out of energy. There's only so much human potential to kind of go around and eventually you kind of use all that up. And recruiting is never like hungry, hungry hippos where you're just out there banging and slamming and grabbing and trying to collect whatever talent you can have. Frankly, we see examples of how that doesn't quite always work out. Texas A&M, I would say, is a little bit of an example of that. I would say that Miami is also a little bit of an example of that, too, that just because you win some recruiting battles doesn't mean you actually show up to be a very good football team on the field that those are programs that have had recruiting success but frankly it doesn't really feel very efficient because it seems like there's a lot of wasted potential there or it seems like some of the recruiting efforts to bring in talented players have ended up being talented players that don't really fit all that well with a winning football team and this is not new information most of you have probably noticed that there as well so I was thinking about that this morning before our show began about the fact that as Georgia pursues greatness, it pursues efficiency in recruiting. And some of that is financial efficiency, as Kirby Smart talked about. But I think some of that also kind of comes in a different form of efficiency there as well. And this sort of ties back into what we talked about yesterday where we kind of mentioned the fact that Bud Elliott, a, a guy that I like, is a pretty smart dude from 24-7 Sports, does his blue chip ratio every year, the percentage of former four- and five-star recruits on every roster dating back to the previous four years and how you have to be kind of above the threshold of 50% to have a chance to win the national championship. And we sort of talked yesterday about the fact that Georgia, you might think, would be number one on this list just given all the recruiting wins that it's had, but it's actually only number three. It's 77% in comparison to Ohio State, which had, I think, 85%. Alabama, which had... 90 percent and listen i want to get this twisted or get this wrong george is not a plucky underdog because it's only got 77 percent of its roster as former four and five star players that's simply not the case but we did sort of notice yesterday that well georgia does have less former four and five star guys than alabama and ohio state so how come georgia's won the, the last two national championships how come it is that that georgia beat ohio state last year and beat alabama the previous year and what we said was we heard kirby smart in his own words say this what we said was is that georgia seemingly had a question that it wanted to ask of each of its recruits which is how much do you want to win how much do you hate losing we heard some very good audio from kirby smart on that yesterday so if you missed yesterday's show a lot of you kind of catch up later this time of year so i'll invite you to go back and listen to a yesterday's show because it was really good. Kirby Smart had some terrific things to say going back to January about the way in which Georgia scouts and identifies talent. And that one big question is a big question that Georgia asks the recruits that it brings in of, 
Do you hate losing? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to win? And if you are, even if you're a three-star recruit, a la Javon Bullard or a la, you know, Jordan Davis or a la, you know, even, you know, sometimes lesser recruits like a Lad McConkey or, you know, a Stetson Bennett former walk-on, that if you hate losing, if you love winning, if you're willing to do what it takes to pay the price uh, to be that kind of player, then even as a lesser recruit, you can end up being one of the most important players on Georgia's roster. And we talked about that yesterday. That's a big question that Georgia asks on its way to being efficient recruiting making sure it's pursuing the kind of players that will really contribute to a championship but in light of that what we said yesterday there's another question I believe that Georgia also asks and this is something I don't think you need to miss because we're in a day and age right now where the transfer portal is more prevalent than it's ever been and programs are using NIL as a way to lure players out of the transfer portal in a way that was kind of unforeseen as recently as a few years ago and everybody's trying to figure this out and some teams are trying to leverage that to their advantage they want to be the most aggressive in the transfer portal and they want to go out and steal players off other guys rosters I mean Ole Miss for example essentially made that like it's number one calling card transfer to the SIP that's what they call the state of Mississippi they say you know they've basically made the sort of transfer nomenclature uh, a big part of their entire pitch as, as a program uh well Kirby Smart has said we want to approach this a little bit differently which sort of leads to i think the next question that kirby smart asks of the recruits that come into this program as a way of maintaining uga's efficiency in recruiting to set this up i want you to hear from kirby smart again from the same press conference we just heard him from a moment ago smart was asked about what some coaches are kind of calling the problem of tampering right now this means i'm a player on somebody's roster and i've got other programs reaching out to me while i'm on someone's roster prior to going into the transfer portal trying to get me into the portal and then ultimately getting me on their roster and away from the team that i'm currently on some coaches are very vocal talking about what a big problem this is at times i've been pretty vocal on this show saying what a big problem potentially i think this can be and how potentially problematic i think it is for college football if it doesn't enforce its rules i've said before that you're only a sport to the extent that you have rules and if you try to be lawless and ruleless well eventually the entire stability of the sport's going to be threatened well kirby smart doesn't quite see it that way given multiple chances to talk about the issue of tampering the other day smart essentially shrugged off the problem and in doing so kind of explained what it is that makes georgia a little bit different in all of this that Georgia's just not simply pursuing the same kind of players that other programs are let me let you hear a little bit more of kirby smart which sort of sets us up for that second question that i believe that georgia's asking of its recruits right now here's kirby again I don't really get caught up in it. I, I, I worry a lot more about my roster, and I say, how do we manage the people that we have so that they don't want to go somewhere else? So I focus on that. Not a lot of these teams have people on their staffs that go out and watch the opposing team on the field to write down how they look, or how they run. They're they're they're, they're surveying the field for the portal. We're, we're not that elaborate. I mean, we're we're, we're going to try to focus on our guys and, and retention is probably more important to me than anything. I just think that's really interesting to hear Kirby Smart say to us retention is going to be more important than anything in other words I've got an opportunity to go out here and chase transfer portal guys and at times Georgia will do that didn't do it in 2022 bringing in three for 2023 so it's not opposed to transfer players uh but while Georgia has an opportunity to go out and maybe get a guy from the portal from time to time it's got an obligation Kirby says to take care of the guys that are on the roster which sort of leads me to that second question that I think that Georgia's asking of its high school recruits because Kirby went on 
on to say in this same press conference that you just heard a couple of clips from that for Georgia high school football recruiting is always going to be more important than transfer portal recruiting which kind of leads to the question that I believe that Georgia asks of its recruits it's not only do you want to win do you hate losing are you willing to pay the price to be a winner and if you are that makes you more valuable no matter what your star rating is the other question right now that I believe that Georgia asks of its recruits is are you willing to stick around? Are you willing to stay in our program? Because that, I think, makes a recruit even more valuable to UGA, that you could just blindly go out and try to grab whatever talent that you can get and sort of throw it all together and hope like some sort of all-star team, it comes together and you can go out there and just roll the ball out there and try to win games. But we have seen time and time again that college football is actually just more complicated than that. And it's not ever going to be quite that easy to build a winning team. So therefore, you've got to try to find the guy that wants to be a part of your program and Kirby knows it's going to lose transfer portal players I think in fact he said that their kind of internal goal is to keep 70 percent of the players on the roster they know they're going to have a few guys transfer but if they can keep more of you know more than two out of every three then you have a chance to kind of try to create the stability that allows you to go out and build a championship team and to circle back to the word that started this entire conversation maintain that efficiency there as well so from time to time Kirby Smart gives us I think a pretty interesting window into how Georgia goes about its business clearly bringing in talented players is a huge part of what Georgia's all about as Bud Elliott showed us yesterday more than three out of every four players Georgia signed the previous four years have either been a four or five star recruit that is an elite recruiting level but it's more than just grabbing talent it's finding guys as Kirby told us yesterday that have an insatiable appetite for winning and if you even if you're a lesser recruit you're a valuable player if you view the game that way and finding guys who are willing to stick it out at George and stay here over the course of the long haul choosing to view the long-term commitment that a high school player will give you over the short-term commitment that a transfer player will give you that's also an important part of the Georgia formula there as well we know that whatever George is doing is working but sometimes taking a chance to uh, investigate exactly what Georgia is doing is pretty fascinating. How does it remain so efficient? Every now and then, Kirby Smart will let us know. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. We are so happy to have you with us. No matter how you join us, live on video, 10 a.m. across all the video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Of course, even earlier than that on Athens, actually, sorry, I'm getting my, my script messed up here. Uh, we, we started at 945 on our first and 15 dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. By now, you know that. I ought to be able to say that. But most of you could say it better than me just listening along here right now. Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 96, The Ref. That is, of course, true. And podcasts, however you find them, all across the fruited plain of podcast platforms out there. We are on them all, and we're happy to have you with us here today. And so thankful to our friends at Meriwether and Tharb, who also make all of this possible there as well. And I know uh, this time each week when you hear me talk about this subject, it's still jarring sometimes to hear it. The idea of divorce. Divorce is just really hard. I've been having some conversations with some folks lately about this. And, you know, in your own personal life, when it impacts you, it's just it's just tough and i can't sugarcoat that i can't make it be different than it is i really can't but i think a lot of you are also aware there too that sometimes reality is not a thing to ignore or to sugarcoat or pretend it's different than it is sometimes reality is just a thing that has to be confronted and sometimes the best way around it is to go through it and if you find yourself in a situation where you do have to go through this right now you've got no other choice maybe you've tried to save that relationship and it's just proven to be unsalvageable that it is severed it has come to an end 
then the important conversation are next steps. What do you do next when you realize that the plan that you had for your life is not quite working out the way that you hoped that it would? Well, that's where our friends at Meriwether and Tharp come in, your source for Georgia divorce. I want you to find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com, theatlantadivorceteam.com. And I'll tell you this, here is how I judge the value of any person or organization or anything like that. It's what they're willing to give away for free. You know, what are they willing to do for me before they even know who I am? And I think there's a lot of generosity in place with Meriwether and Tharp because there are so many resources they could sort of hoard and keep to themselves. And you don't find out any of this until you hire them to be your attorney and then they'll, you know, kind of give you what they know. But Meriwether and Tharp kind of leads with generosity here from the standpoint that if you go on their website, the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com, you see blog posts, you see podcasts, you see all kinds of ways in which you can educate yourself about the divorce process before you actually make that decision to have that initial consultation with one of their attorneys and then hire them to work on your divorce process. They give a lot away to you for free at the very beginning of all of this. It's one of the reasons why I'm so confident in my recommendation of them for you if you find yourself in the situation. So please find them online the atlanta divorce team.com that's the atlanta divorce team.com meriwether and tharp is your source for georgia divorce all right coming up before we're done here in a couple of minutes it's terrence edwards on a thursday i always love that we'll have a good time talking to terrence i'm also going to give you an update on the great contest we have ongoing right now courtesy of our friends at kroger and traeger grills we'll do that here in a couple of minutes there as well stand by if you have not gotten involved on that yet prior to that want to go around the doghouse and we got some interesting information yesterday the jacksonville jaguars shared some renderings of what the brand new stadium not not totally brand new but renovated stadiums and look like there in jacksonville if it does indeed uh get done here in a couple of years and for georgia fans this has a lot of intrigue because you know after a couple of years of we uh, of, of two more years beyond this year of playing the game in the current stadium then a couple years worth of renovation does this game remain in Jacksonville long term and what would it look like if it was there we got some pictures of that yesterday so if you're watching a video I'll show you a couple of these let me start with kind of the outside version of the stadium how this would kind of look there in that Jacksonville skyline some people thought this was kind of a weird looking deal Honestly, everybody online always criticizes everything that's new. I don't see anything wrong with the stadium complex there at all. I think it's just kind of what modern stadiums sort of look like. So I don't make too big of a deal about that one way or another. It's obviously a very different look for the Jacksonville skyline, but it's certainly an improved look over the current stadium, which is probably well beyond its shelf life in terms of keeping up with the typical NFL stadium, to be sure. So that, if you're watching on video, is kind of what this area would look like you know where the stadium currently is obviously a huge upgrade the thing that probably gets the most attention though is from from the inside of the stadium how different that could potentially look because what you see right here is kind of a closed roof situation this would be a retractable roof here and i guess when the roof is open it'd be a little bit like the miami stadium for those of you who were at the orange bowl a couple of years ago where you know maybe there's an overhang on a lot of the seats creating a little bit more shadow effect obviously because down in south florida it can get very hot jacksonville can be the same way and the opportunity to close the roof when you want to. Here's I'm going to tell you about the whole the overall picture here. You know, kind of cool look. Certainly, uh, very interesting artist renderings here. I want to reserve right for judgment on all of this because on the one hand, I'm pro cocktail party, and I think the idea of being a part of an exciting new stadium complex, one in which they've certainly made Georgia, Florida. A big centerpiece of all this the jaguars have said prior to this just a couple of months ago that the most important football game played in Jacksonville every single year is not a jaguars game it's a georgia florida game they know how much this game means to the city so georgia florida being a big part of a brand new stadium situation here i think could be kind of fun however i want to say also a very 
simple statement here there as well it cannot be the world's largest outdoor cocktail party if you play it indoors like you can't do that so uh you know cool stadium i'm glad it's got a roof if it rains for the jaguars i'm sure that's gonna be cool but you can't play the world's largest outdoor cocktail party inside of a dome stadium i just don't think you can do that if you want to keep the aesthetic if you want to keep what's made this game special i do think the roof's got to be open so to me my initial reaction to this is the improved stadium i think improves the cocktail party i think but i don't want to play this game indoors playing the sec championship in atlanta indoors in december absolutely playing college football playoff games in dome stadiums where you have kind of a controlled atmosphere for that that seems to make some sense there as well but the outdoor cocktail party needs to be played outdoors i think that's probably about as simple as that so Let's reserve judgment on this a little bit to kind of find out more about it, but I don't see anything that's a total game changer for me in terms of changing the way that I felt about the cocktail party, but I don't want to play with a roof over my head. <laughs> and I think I probably feel that way even if it's raining, although I'm sure if it's raining, they probably would close the roof there in that particular situation. So, so an interesting look at a new stadium complex, a new stadium idea, and we'll see what the long-term future is with the cocktail party here, I'm sure coming up in the uh, very near future there as well for now that is around the doghouse here on dog nation daily presented by meriwether and tharp today and before we bring on terrence edwards let me also give you a big reminder we're in that time of year heading towards the fourth of july we're kind of thinking about our country obviously we just came across memorial day which is the time we kind of think about those who paid the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate price for those who've uh, served our country and moving ahead to independence day our, our nation's birthday and obviously there's so much that we're so many of us are so proud of about our country this time of year and i think that dog nation is kind of stepping up in honor of that right now to do a promotion that we're calling celebrating america's heroes and we're doing that courtesy of traeger grills and kroger and here's how it works someone's gonna win a traeger ironwood xl grill this is an amazing uh grill it's like a two thousand dollar value this is a big time uh product here for sure and they're also going to win a kroger 500 dollars gift card to give you some food to go on that grill so really an amazing thing here and here's how you can be a winner you're going to simply go online to dognation.com upload a short video or a photo and tell the story of an american hero in your own life this could really be anything you know my dad was a vietnam veteran my father-in-law was a vietnam veteran both of my grandfathers served the armed forces it could be a story like that of some person from the armed forces in your past and you just want their story to be known or it could be kind of the common average everyday american hero that we all come in contact with who are kind of going above and beyond to make our lives and our communities better teachers firemen policemen things like that there's all kinds of examples of how uh folks just average everyday folks have served their country or served their community and all of that adds together to make the fabric of our country what it is and traeger grills and kroger they want to honor that and they want you to help them do that they're a dog so go online upload a video uh, a photograph tell the story of an american hero in your own life and the story that you tell could make you a big winner courtesy of trigger grills and kroger so you've got between now and june 17th to get your submission in and we'll start announcing a winner after that so get involved dognation.com and you can find out more about this get all the full details about the contest but also submit your entry that could make you a winner courtesy of trigger grills and kroger we're very excited about doing that here this time of year all right before we're done a little bit of controversy about something that a lot of college football fans are really excited about we'll tell you what this is about but for now everything on uh georgia football here a great guy to talk to all of this about I hadn't had a chance to catch up with him in a couple of weeks that was gone last week but we'll get back to it here today it is terrence edwards here on dog nation daily presented by meriwether and tharp 
Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So happy to have Terrence Edwards back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. And Terrence, I haven't had a chance to catch up with you the last couple of weeks. Glad to be able to do that with you here today. I was just showing some uh, fi- uh, pictures a moment ago of the new Jacksonville Stadium, how it might look once these renovations are completed. It's certainly a very different look there and a lot more in keeping with some of the modern NFL stadium- stadiums we see now as opposed to what Jacksonville kind of has been, which is a very antiquated sort of out-of-date stadium that the Jaguars have played in. You've said before you kind of like a little bit of a rotational thing for the Georgia-Florida game. How would you feel about playing the cocktail party in Jacksonville in such a new-look stadium and maybe even the idea of having a roof over your head while you played it? Uh, that would certainly take some getting used to there. Uh, what do you make of the new look for that Jacksonville stadium there? I think it was much needed. I think it was time to uh, upgrade their stadium. I think the uh, you know the college program just spends so much money to upgrading each year, and that has to do with recruiting, trying to keep up with the Joneses. So for Jacksonville to to keep this game there, they they had to do something uh, to please both sides and the upgrade and. You know, if it's if it's a roof, we we know that weather's never going to be an issue for us. The rain is rainy, so uh, they had to do something. So I, I I like the upgrades that they're 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 doing. Yeah, no doubt about that. I'm sure you know it's one of those things where. You know, there are a lot of people who have sort of different feelings about this. There's some people that want to see this become a home and home. You've talked about wanting to see that Georgia-Florida game become maybe more of a rotational type thing. We've heard other people echo that in the past. Ultimately, what you find out is, is this game has just proven to be very important to Jacksonville. And as they think about a bigger stadium, I'm guessing in the future, they may also think about a lot more money coming the way of both Georgia and Florida for playing that game there. And at one point in time, I thought, hey, we're about to see the end of this that they're about to stop playing in Jacksonville and start playing home and home but just given the investment they seem willing to be made into that stadium and the investment to maybe keep Georgia Florida playing in that stadium each and every year I'm starting to think that the future of the cocktail party is actually a little longer than I once maybe thought do you get the same sense that hey this game may actually be sticking around there for a little while well you know the old adage is you got to spend money to make money so I think Jacksonville uh, really recognize the importance of this game for their city. Um, so they really have to you know, go out and do the necessary upgrades uh, to the city, uh, to the facilities to keep this game there. I mean, I, I would definitely love to see 92,000, whatever the, the capacity is in Sanford State now, and the, over 90 in, in Gainesville. I would love to see how that would shake up. But you know, this is the world largest cocktail party. Everyone know how I feel about it. I would love to see a home at home and in Jacksonville. Um, so let's just see how it plays out. But like you said, if if they're doing these upgrades, the game is probably going to stay in Jacksonville. We have seen some uh, social media activity as of late from uh, Dylan Raiola, the five-star quarterback, number one recruit, obviously a Georgia commit. And he's been out there pushing for other guys to join him at UGA and been very open about doing that. Terrence, how important do you think it is for a for a quarterback like this to be a, a key leader for a recruiting class, to be that guy that's out there fanning the flames, being the biggest cheerleader for the program, and really pushing guys to join him? I think fans kind of like this kind of stuff because it's just sort of fun. Oftentimes, maybe it doesn't you know lead to the kind of commits and signings that you maybe hope that it does. But but how important do you think that is the fact that Dylan Riola is not only a very talented player, but he's also you know kind of really put himself out in the front as, I would say, the unquestioned leader of this class right now? 
Yes, you know, the, the quarterback position comes with responsibility that, uh, like it or love it, it, it is what it is. And when you have a quarterback that is out, reaching out to all the guys, future teammates, he's making the connection with these guys on and off the field. Um, you got only thing you could do is respect that. A lot of guys going to go in and they're going to like, this is my guy. They love being able to play with this guy. They'll run through a brick wall for this guy. They'll do anything to make a play for this guy because he's instilling confidence in everyone and leadership. So it's very important for your quarterback to be out in front, you know, um, because at the end of the day, you have to have a quarterback to win. I don't care what level you own. You have to have a talented quarterback to win, and he's a very talented guy. Now, what does his leadership entail? And we've seen his leadership so far through social media. Yeah, no doubt about that. He's uh, certainly shown that off to us here. One of the things we talked about yesterday a little bit is the fact that if you look at Georgia in comparison to Ohio State and Alabama, while Georgia is clearly an elite recruiting program, more than three-quarters of the players in this roster were former four- and five-star recruits coming out of high school, that it does seem like that Georgia has been willing to trust the lesser-known recruit a little bit more than some of these other programs have, and that's worked out really well. Obviously, Ladd McConkey is an example of that. That's a guy that you uh, certainly know uh, very well, Terrence. You've touted you know, him for quite some time. So my question is, as a guy who kind of understands this both as a player and a coach, how is it that Georgia does this? In other words, let's take Ladd McConkey as an example. That's a guy we talked about yesterday. This is a guy that you told us before he took his first snap at Georgia that you thought he'd be a good player. So when a guy like this goes on to be good at Georgia, or guys like him, you know, Javon Bullard's a little bit like that, others too, is this Georgia seeing a player in high school that they realized was better than the rest of the country knew about? Or is this Georgia somehow developing these players better once they're on campus? How do you account for the fact that on a roster like Georgia's where so many of the players are elite recruits some of the guys who were not elite recruits end up being uh some of the very best players in a way that's kind of uncommon in comparison to the Alabamas the Ohio States and programs like that I think a lot of times you just got to trust your, your gut your instincts and trust your eyes uh we go out and try to overthink this thing a lot um I mean let's just take Lab for example you know he was a probably 160 pounds once they saw him, but he had a lot of the traits that they were looking for. He was very quick, uh, straight line fast, and he was tough. I mean, you just could see that him playing in his high school, that he was a tough football player. And that translates. Javon Bullard is one of those middle Georgia unknown football players from Baldwin County. Just They saw just a tough, hard-nosed football player. And sometimes, you know, he does not come into a six-feet to six-two range. He comes in a small package that you see that Lad McConkey and Javon Bullock has. So I just think that the the Georgia fans or the college football fans, let's go out and just watch these kids film before we make a judgment on them because recruiting services does not have them ranked as a four or five star. There are some guys that are late bloomers that you 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 get an eval on, you put it in your your analytics and just see what it say. But at the end of the day, I go and watch the film for myself, and I can see, is he stiff in the hips? Lad McConkey was not stiff in the hips. Does he catch the football very well? He caught the football well. Only thing that Lad needed was just the understanding of how to play the wide receiver position. Now that comes with development, and Georgia has done a great job developing those unknown guys. So it's kind of funny to me that we're talking about McConkey here, but we could also say something similar about A.D. Mitchell. Now, A.D.'s not here anymore, 
But AD, from the word go, was a better player than his recruiting ranking would have suggested there as well. And, you know, uh, LSU's had big-time receivers that weren't necessarily elite recruits before. They've had a lot that were elite recruits, but they've had big-time guys that weren't. Ohio State, for as many five-star guys they had, you know, Chris Olave wasn't a a big-time recruit. So, you know, there are occasionally these uh, great receivers who were not necessarily great recruits. What that leads me to is, do you think the wide receiver position, the position obviously that you played and you're so close to still right now, do you think it's more difficult to evaluate wide receivers than it is to evaluate players at other positions? I, I would say so. There's a there are some guys that you just know. AJ Green was just you just knew he was going to be special, um, and those guys is easy. But then. On the other hand, there are some guys that you just thought would go be better than they turn out to be. So on one hand, you know, the special ones is easy to, to determine. But I tend to agree with you now that it is kind of hard to know how a receiver is going to pan out. Uh, because you, you don't know how well he learns. You don't know how tough he is. You don't know the heart of, of a kid. Um, so it is kind of hard to determine, you know, what a receiver is going to be. Uh, but, you know, you just go back to LSU. Justin Jefferson. No one knew just, Justin Jefferson is going to turn out to be what he is today. Uh, I love A.D. Mitchell when he came. I told you that. I love this. So I, as a receiver, I have an eye for these guys because I played receiver and I know what I'm looking for. So I, I love evaluating talent. I love watching tape and seeing who I think can or can't play, but for the, I just think for the untrained eye, it's kind of difficult to see what I see. I want to ask you about this. We're going to talk about this more in a minute uh, once we kind of transition to our SEC through. But there's a story out there right now that the EA Sports College Football video game is on its way back. And obviously, post Ed O'Bannon lawsuit, now players, also in the NIL age, get a chance to kind of cash in on this the way they didn't before. Uh, but apparently, the payout, not exactly uh, what some players were hoping for, only about $500 per player stretch all across college football. And there's a organization out there kind of urging a boycott to basically kind of you know opt out of the video game because the payment of $500 they believe is uh, not nearly enough what do you think about this Terrence as, as a player here that you know obviously the chance to cash in is there but the truth is once you sort of spread this across the entire country you know <laughs> there's not necessarily you know quite as much money to maybe go around there you know you think the players ought to be happy with the $500 and be thankful to be in the video game or do you think they ought to opt out and hold out and hope for a little bit more no, you hold out. I, I was in this video game and didn't receive a dime. Brock Bowers will bring more attention to this video game than a lot of college players. So he does. He deserves way more than five than five hundred dollars. He's going to make EA Sports and uh, the other top guys in the country way more money than five hundred dollars. So, you know, it, to me, it could be a sliding scale. I'm, I'm sorry if that kind of you know Brock Bowers needs more than someone else who we don't know. That's just the way it should be. Uh, but $500, $500 for Brock Bowers and $500 for a guy who haven't played a, a snap in college football just doesn't seem right to me. Um, but that's to me, it's kind of a slap in the face for you offer every college football player $500 when clearly – each college football player value is not the same. So I got to ask you this, uh, I guess sort of a two-part question. First of all, 
What was it like to sort of see your image in a video game? Obviously, back then, they weren't putting Terrence Edwards' name on there, but it was the number eight. We, were, we would have all known who it was. What was it like to sort of see your image on a video game screen? And I, I guess at the time, did you have any kind of thought of, hey, nobody paid me to do this? What were your thought processes back then when you kind of saw yourself rendered on an image like that? I think the first thing that every player did is go see how how fast they had you, all the attributes. I think like, that's the first thing that you go do is go find your attributes and see what they have you. I'm like, oh, they got me rated too slow or whatever. So, But then you play with yourself. It was fun going out playing with myself sure. on a video game or the character who's supposed to be me. Did you make yourself an option game. quarterback? Hey, did you make yourself into an option yeah. quarterback? You know, I put myself at quarterback to go run some plays. And you know, Jim Dunn did that in the Oahu Bowl, and it got me MVP. So why not go and do it on a video game? Listen, I like it. I like it, Terrence. That's uh, that's good stuff for sure. Hey, we appreciate you being here, and obviously, we talked about your uh, great work that you're doing right now this time of year, getting those guys ready to have their own image in a EA Sports video game one day. Getting better right now is how you get that done. How can folks get in touch and getting uh, to know more about that Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy to be able to do that? Well, right now, uh, since summer practice is afoot, okay. uh, I personally don't want to burn kids out. I don't want them to go to their high school practice, then come to me Understand. later. That's just that would be selfish of me. But I am putting together a middle school. Nice. So any middle schoolers out there looking to uh, get better at that craft, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. So I'm looking for some middle schoolers now. I like it, Terrence. That sounds like good stuff. Never too soon to start trying to get better at your craft. And obviously, Terrence helps you do that. That's why we love talking to him on the program each and every week. Terrence, have a great week. We'll look forward to catching up with you here very soon. And uh, we'll talk to you here on Dog Nation Daily, uh, presented by Meriwether and Tharp soon as well. Thank you. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I want to get into more of what Terrence was talking about right there because uh, I think that's kind of fun, kind of interesting. We'll do that here in a moment. Let me remind you prior to that, cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me tell you something. There are rumors out there. Can I confirm them? There are rumors, though, rumblings afoot about the Dog Nation cruise in 2024. Will there be one? Will it be bigger and better than ever before? People are saying, people are saying. So what will be true about that? We'll tell you when we can. But for now, it's time for you to think about your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Many of you know I've got a little weekend cruise coming up here before the summer is done. I'm very excited about that. It's one of those things. Get a chance to share that with my family, my brother and his kids, wife are going. My mom's going to be a part of that. And it's just one of those things of, hey, you bring the whole family together, you have a great time, cr- uh, create some great memories. Our kids are super excited about it. I always know we're kind of getting close on that. You know, last night we we're kind of sitting around watching some YouTube videos together, kind of looking at some of the fun stuff on the ship that we're going to be on and some of the excitement related to that. I just love that anticipation, getting ready for it. And my kids now, you know, they had a chance to take their first Royal Caribbean cruise back in February. So they're experts now. They know all about the ships and all about the things to do. And you know, so they're kind of making their own plans, what they want to do while they're on board. And I just love all of that. So I hope you'll make your own plans, and I hope you'll use Jessica Slater as a great travel agent to help you with that. 
770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She can help you get the most out of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation experience because there are a lot of variables. You know, which port do you want to sail out of? We heard from a Georgia fan the other day who said, hey, Tampa's closer for me, so I'm going to be going on a Royal Caribbean cruise out of Tampa. For many of you, it's Port Canaveral because if you live in the Atlanta area, that's the shortest drive. Just past Orlando, you're right there at Port Canaveral and you're ready to have a great time. And, you know, for the others, it might be in Miami or Fort Lauderdale or something like that. But also, it's where you want to go. You know, some folks this time of year think about going on the Alaskan cruise. That's something I haven't done before, but I hope to do at some point in time. I've kind of all been about the Caribbean so far. But whichever choice, whichever option you want to take advantage of, Royal Caribbean's got you covered. So Jessica Slater can help you out with all of that. And hopefully we'll see you maybe on a Dog Nation cruise here again at some point in time there as well. And we'll tell you more about that when we get a chance to uh, do so. All right. So for now, let's go cruise around the SEC. Let me pick up with where I was just um, uh, talking with uh, Terrence Edwards there a moment ago. So EA Sports is bringing back the college vid- uh, video game, the football video game. A lot of folks are excited about that. And Sportico is kind of reporting here that the cash pool for athletes kind of cash in on the new video game is going to be about $5 million, which would pay out about $500 per player, $500 per player. There's also no royalties. This is Sportico, kind of a sports business-themed website reporting that. And there is an outfit out there, an organization out there called the College Football Players Association that's hoping to represent some players and hoping to kind of sort of rally the troops around players. And they're trying to organize a boycott basically encouraging players to opt out on this uh, as a way of getting more per player from EA Sports on the video game. Now, that was very interesting to see some folks sort of step up and speak about this. For instance, there's a guy named Shannon Terry who runs a website called On3. You know, Shannon's probably about as pro-NIL as anybody can be. And Shannon's public statement on this was that he thinks that 99.9% of the players that are out there ought to be happy with the 500 bucks. There's really only a couple of players out there. Terrence mentioned Brock Bowers a moment ago. Maybe that would be true for Bowers. You know, I think other folks kind of mentioned more along the lines of quarterbacks like the Caleb Williams or perhaps a Drake May. There's really only a small handful of players that would really move the needle on a game like this to say we actually drive sales that for most college football players – you know, no, they're not going to contribute to more sales overall for the video game. What people really want is the uh, the college teams and, you know, the generic names or no names whatsoever is enough for the average fan who enjoys playing this video game. I think I probably kind of a line up in that camp myself there on this. I don't mean to be harsh to the players themselves. Uh, I mean, clearly, you know, college football has been unmasked as a business. And so, therefore, players want to get their own stake into the business there as well. We certainly understand that. But there's going to be some harsh realities that get confronted as players pursue their own business pursuits here, which is when it comes to college athletics, the name on the front of the jersey, so to speak, is just worth more than the name on the back of the jersey. You know, this is why we've never really seen a league pop up that takes talent that could play college football and does some sort of USFL or XFL style league taking advantage of those players. Because frankly, it's just easier to market a player when he's playing for georgia football or duke basketball or something else kind of at that ncaa level there is just a cachet and a prestige that comes with playing college athletics that does not exist playing for somewhere else and that if you released the ncaa video game similar to the way it was in the past with no player names on it whatsoever or kind of one of these uh you know sort of franchise type deals where eventually you've sort of just got made up players and things like that for the average college fan that's probably enough and 
for the average college player, listen, I mean, you know, you're going to hear about a few players who want more than the $500. The truth is a good number of players have said in the past they just wanted the video game to come back. They didn't care if they got paid for it or not. That's probably a little bit more of a prevailing, you know, line of thought than maybe a lot of folks kind of realize here on this. But in some respects, this is a little bit of a precursor to what the future of college athletics could look like there as well, where we think there is certainly the potential for movement in the direction of one day players being classified as employees. And once that happens, it creates a very interesting scenario for a lot of these players where, hey, do you want collective rights leading to collective payments or do you want individual marketing opportunities, individual compensation opportunities? Because, you know, you hear about like Pareto's law and things like that, 80-20 principle, you know, that 20% of the people generate about 80% of the value for any organization. Uh, if anything, the numbers are maybe even more skewed in the direction of 90-10 or 95-5, something along those lines. There's just going to be excellence in any field. And in college football, it's much the same way, that a small number of football players have value that is exponentially greater than the average college football player. So what kind of what, what kind of compensation model does the sport pursue in the future? If we really are going to classify these uh, athletes one day as employees, if that's the way they're going to be thought of, then how are they going to be paid? Are they going to be paid across the board in sort of stipend form, or are they going to be paid individually based on their individual worth? And I think that leads to a very interesting debate and discussion there in the future. Because, listen, no matter how the large the overall pool of money that exists around college football, and it is a very large pool, no matter how large it is, you can still only spend that money one time. You can spend it to give the best players the money you think they're worth, but that just leads to less money for the average players. And we've always contended that while we're not anti-NIL or anything like that, We've always contended, though, that the current deal where you get a free scholarship and you get the, the sort of, you know, kind of uh, uh, fringe benefits that go along with playing college football, that the average college football player actually has a pretty good deal in the current deal that exists around college football. And that when you move to the sort of the compensation, true pay for play model, true employee model, that that's only going to probably benefit a small number of players in a huge way. And that in, in most cases, the average college football player is probably getting a pretty good deal based on his individual worth here right now. That's just the way I think that, uh, you know, this sport's currently set up as probably a better deal than it's been given credit for. So as you kind of move towards some of this kind of stuff in the future, how much is the EA sports debate right now of $500? I thought I'd be getting more than this. How much is this a precursor of what's to come or players have to decide? Do you want collective rights and therefore kind of collective payments? Uh, sort of equal payments per across the group or do you want to kind of stand out individually and negotiate individually for what you feel like you're worth much the same way the professional sports you know kind of do right now i think it'll be interesting to see where all this is heading uh one more quick sec through story here for a moment so greg mcelroy the former alabama quarterback obviously a radio host as well they're birmingham espn analyst of course too but radio host in birmingham wjox our friends at saturday on south a story about this that he was on the radio the other day kind of touting for Alabama this upcoming season. And McElroy said something that I thought was kind of interesting, that he says he actually likes this version of Alabama this year better than the Alabama team a year ago. And I remember at the time McElroy sort of expressed some concern about the transfer players that Alabama was bringing in, echoing what we had said on this show. We proved to be right on that. McElroy was, I guess, too. But what McElroy had kind of said that kind of got my attention was, is he actually feels like this team for Alabama this year 
is going to be a little bit more like the early Nick Saban teams where they do lean on running the football a little bit more and they do kind of go away from their previous identity of uh of of kind of being a quarterback driven team now we might somewhat you know I guess sarcastically say hey that might be driven by necessity because right now it doesn't really appear that Alabama on its roster has a obviously very good quarterback they may have to hope to run the football better that may be what they have to try to do because uh they just may not be quite you know nearly as good at the quarterback position they've been in the past maybe that's the case but it is interesting to hear a guy like McElroy who played at Alabama and obviously knows the landscape there in Tuscaloosa suggesting that the recipe for success for Alabama this year is kind of being a little bit more reminiscent of early Alabama Alabama teams now what McElroy did not say but maybe you've already kind of concluded is is that they're trying to be more like the old Alabama then what actually may also be true is they're actually trying to be a little bit more like the current version of Georgia which has never been as quarterback driven as Alabama was but the truth is you had Bryce Young as your starting quarterback for two years you never won a national championship that style of play did not turn out to be as productive for success for Nick Saban as maybe he assumed that it would be and now maybe he's trying to go back old dog trying to go back some of his old tricks we will see how much that works out but Greg McElroy interesting words there and we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and as we wrap up today's show, have to give you a little bit of an apology. Yesterday, apparently we missed a holiday, and we try not to miss those holidays. Now, listen, we try also to be here on most holidays. It is very rare for us to have a have a you know a show we don't uh, you know a day we don't do a show. Some holidays we do take off: Christmas Day, Thanksgiving Day, stuff like that. Uh, but we try to make sure that we recognize all holidays when they take place. Yesterday, apparently, we missed one. And that's the subject of our golden shoe today, because yesterday was June 7th or 6-7 on the calendar. And 6-7 on the calendar will apparently be remembered as National Gator Day in honor of the Florida Gators going 6-7 last year. Uh, Evil Coach, yeah, put that on Twitter. Happy 6-7 National Gator Day after the 6-7 season a year ago. Georgia on tab, who's always so funny online, shared that with me. So we'll give Georgia on tab a golden shoe for sharing with me evil coach yeah for uh pointing out the holiday and those lousy stinking gators for a losing season a year ago plenty of laughs and golden shoes to go around on all of that by the way speaking of the lousy stinking gators how about 142 days from right now georgia back in jacks well old stadium for now the brand new space age stadium that's a few years away but for now in the old stadium georgia will do what it always does which is beat up on florida 142 days from now that is our gator hater countdown we will see all of you back here tomorrow on dog nation daily presented by merriweather and tharp